Hi there, and welcome once again to my podcast. Uh, I'm Nagapriya, and in this podcast, I'm talking with Dayamati, who's a retired professor of Sanskrit and Buddhist philosophy uh, based at the University of Arizona. And uh, we've been looking in these recent podcasts at a series of texts by the Japanese Buddhist Pure Land teacher uh, Shinran. Uh, so far, we've been focusing on a text called Notes on the Essentials of Faith Alone. And in what you hear in this podcast, we continue to talk about that text. And we also begin to focus on a second text, which is called Notes on Once Calling and Many Calling, which deals with the controversy over whether it's important to say the Nimbutsu, which is to say the name of Amida, just once, or to say it many, many times. Uh, if you'd like to send us a message, you can leave a message on my podcast uh, if you've got a question or other comment. And I'll also put links to the text in the information that you can see while listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoy it. We're, we're still looking at. Um, notes on faith alone or notes on the essentials of faith alone i should say right and there were a couple more things that i wanted to look at from okay. that commentary uh before going on to look at uh notes on once calling and many calling yeah um and it's kind of towards the middle and end um there's a couple of things where uh Shinran talks about or introduces the idea of Dharma body and Dharma nature. Right. So he talks about, first of all, he talks about Nirvana and he says, uh, Nirvana has innumerable names. It is impossible to give them in detail. I will list only a few. Right. Uh, Nirvana is called extinction of passions, the uncreated, peaceful happiness, eternal bliss, true reality, dharma body, dharma nature, suchness, oneness, and Buddha nature. Yeah. Uh, Buddha nature is none other than Tathagata. This Tathagata pervades the countless worlds. It fills the hearts and minds of the ocean of all beings. Thus plants, trees, and land all attain Buddhahood. So uh, what interested me about this and then further, yeah, further, he says, since it is with this heart and mind of all sentient beings that they entrust themselves to the vow of the Dharma body as compassionate means, this Shinjin is none other than Buddha nature. I think that was really the thing that, that caught my attention. So what I, um, what, well, what I, what I take Shin, uh, Shinran to be doing here is well equating the arising of Shinjin with realizing Buddha nature. Mm -hmm. uh, and also then that what Buddha nature really is, Buddha nature is Amida, uh, or, or the, the whole Amida myth, if you like, uh, is another way of talking about Buddha nature. Yeah. You, uh, you, you think that's right? It, so, it sounds it sounds like that, and 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 that, and, that, and, and Buddha nature is, um, well, it's it's wisdom and compassion, and so so the it's 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 as if the, I mean, this is getting very very close to a kind of, um, Upanishadic view of things, really, that the whole nature of things the entire structure of the universe in a way uh, is um, is wisdom and that there's this kind of um, compassion or, or or you could even say as some other traditions would, would say love you know per permeates everything um, and, and and I find that a very um, very powerful idea and 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 I've I've noticed that it's that it's it really has um, it's really had a had an effect on me as I as I do things like going out for a or just going out into the garden 
or something and I'll, and I'll see um, a bunch of bees and wasps who are coming now to, to all of the blossoms that are appearing on plants in, in the garden. We have a lot of sunflowers and, and, uh, and uh, other, other trees and bushes that are now flowering and um, in, the, in, the, in, in the cactus all, all around here are flowering as well. And, and I see uh, bees um, gathering pollen and the whole thing just seems to me like all of nature is um, is exhibiting this cooperation with each other and this this love for each other. You know, it's, and it's it's not it's not a way that I've that I've viewed those things very much in the past. But somehow, reading reading this material has had that effect. Well, it reminds me a little bit of some of the ideas in Dogen as well, because uh, if I remember correctly, he almost has this idea that you and the universe are mutually enlightening one another, uh, or, or we and the universe are mutually enlightening one another. So everything in the universe is revealing uh, the nature of enlightenment to us, but at right. the same time, we are also revealing that to everything else, right. um, uh, which I found a, a really kind of... Uh, 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 moving and, and compelling idea. Mm -hmm. What what interests me about the idea of Buddha nature here, or or the putting Buddha nature into this um, into this narrative of Amida, is that Buddha nature in this case is not is not something cold. You know, it's not like some. It's not like a metaphysical. It's not a metaphysical truth. It's more like a kind of. Um, because because it's embodied it's embodied in amitabha and it, it's embodied in uh this myth of him reaching out to us so it, it, there's something about the the personalization maybe uh of buddha nature uh, mm -hmm. through amitabha that i find really quite strong so it's not just in some abstract way for instance that my i don't know my ultimate nature if you like is no different from the buddha nature it's more that, or what it, that it's more seen that um, Amitabha. Well, I, I'm not different from Amitabha, and more than that, Amitabha is actively trying to point that out to me, if you like, or he's actively trying to help me uh, to understand that, to realize that, because he realizes right. that I'm too stupid to do it by myself. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and there's something about that that I find uh, very attractive. And it kind of, Shinran seems to kind of bring together a whole different load of levels of discourse at the same time, like epistemology, ontology, mythology, uh, all at the same time. Um, so, yeah, we, we could think of, um, you know, uh, Buddha nature as a kind of ontological type idea, I guess we could. Um, but but he and he he goes on to make this distinction between the Dharma body as suchness and the Dharma body right. as compassionate means. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. I never really come across that before. Um, right. So the Dharma the Dharma body, I guess we could say, is Dharmakaya. We could say that maybe quite right. freely. And, and right. so nor normally the Dharmakaya is a term that is used to talk about um, well, the nature of reality, maybe, uh, uh, beyond yeah. any formal expression or beyond any concept, beyond any form. Uh, I mean, he, right. he uses, uh, yeah, suchness, obviously we encounter in texts like the awakening of faith in Mahayana, don't we, Tatata? Right. right. And it seems to be right. a way of saying, well, there's nothing you can say, really. There's nothing you can say about how things are. They are as they are. They're, right. they're beyond uh, description. They're beyond yeah. capture, if you like. They're just like this. Uh, <laughs> exactly, yeah. But then there's this idea of the Dharma body as compassionate means, uh, which obviously refers to Amitabha. Amitabha is the Dharma body as compassionate means. Um, and uh, I think he does somewhere, I don't know if it's here, talk about the relationship between these two. Uh, and he kind of says that they're linked and even the same. But uh, that, I think that's what I'm 
not so clear on what is it what can this mean the dharma body as compassionate means yeah I, it's, it sounds almost as if you know usually the um means i suppose that this is uh upaya right yeah um, that normally you think of the means as as being the method or you know the, the cause say and and then and then and then the, the wisdom or the uh, release from suffering as being the end um, so that there's a separation between means and you know, cause and effect or means means and, and goal whereas his understanding seems to be that somehow these things are actually even though they're distinguished from the point of view of function or something that they really are all wrapped up together in, as being the dharmakaya so that the dharmakaya which is also identified with Shinjin, that Shinjin is not only the the result, but it's also the means of it, of achieving that result. Does that sound right to you? Uh, well, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think so. And it also suggests to me that the the Dharmakaya, uh, which is another word for reality, maybe, right. is yeah. actually it's it, it's actively communicating itself. Right, and that—that's—that's that's how I understood the co the, the compassionate means. So, uh, reality, or yeah, is actively communicating its nature to us. Right, uh, which is something quite spectacular about that that I can't really get my head around. Um, yeah. uh, and again, and it's this um, uh, putting that in these personal terms or embodying that, I should say. Uh, through the figure of Amitabha. So Amitabha is the Dharmakaya, or is the, 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 the compassionate expression of the Dharmakaya, that's what it says here. And he is actively trying to reach out to beings to liberate them. Right. Um, so there's just something about that that I, I, I don't know, I, I can't get my head around it really, but it sounds really spectacular. Yeah. Right. I suppose it's other power. I mean, it's just coming back to the idea of other power and this idea that the process of uh, spiritual transformation, maturity, uh, does not rest on um, the uh, the will of the individual. You know, the will of uh, the the willed effort of oneself. And I think there's something deeply true about that. But it's still very very difficult. To get your head around it because everything that we do in life is premised on self-power that's our whole way of functioning and thinking that's right uh, that's right and and, and i and, and and it's it's difficult in in reading this to kind of take it in and then say okay now what do i do right <laughs> yeah so, so what do i have to do yeah you know? Yeah. And, and it's, it seems to me that, that that what you have to do is open, you know, just open your eyes, open your heart, accept, submit, you know. Um, I think one of the things that Shinran does uh, invite us to do, and he mentioned this, uh, mentions this quite a lot, is to interrogate our own calculating mind. I think that's certainly one thing that he does invite us right. to do and to, uh, to start to see the limitations of uh, this idea that I can liberate myself and that the whole, uh, the whole logic of a self-power vision of uh, Dharma life. Uh, I think that's certainly one thing. Um, yeah, and the other part, clearly, it's, it's, it's about entrusting oneself uh, or having confidence that the whole myth of Amitabha is true, if you like, or, or it's a myth that we can, we can take as true. Right. Uh, we can enter into that myth and, and have confidence in it. But that's the part that's a lot more difficult, isn't it? Uh, it's like, how do you let go of self-power? How do you embrace other power? And I'm not sure that there's a, there's a technique for doing it, really. Um, it doesn't seem like there is. Um, you know, no. he, he, he talk, we'll see this um, later, but um, in the other text, you know, the, the notes on once calling and many calling, the technique, if I can call it that, 
is just simply to say Amitabha's name with confidence, with a sincere heart. That's it. Right. That and that's that seems to be about all there is to say about it. Without without any doubt. Without any doubt, and not, yeah, obviously that raises the question of how how do you do that, and uh, right. that's not at all clear. Right. Yeah, it seems like this is the kind of thing that, um, well, the very nature of of other power is there. There can't be a method. There can't be a technique. Hmm. Um, because the because mean, technique is premised on self power. Yeah. Right. Right. Hmm. right. So, so, so as soon as you find yourself asking that question, which always comes to my mind is, so how do you do this? <laughs> so, you know, what do you do now? Um, that's, that's a, that's a self power kind of question. Um, mm, right. Yeah. So maybe the only thing that you can do or, or is continue to be attentive and alert to the tendency to bring in all over again uh, a self-power mentality and uh, yeah. kind of stay vig vigilant about that. Um, yeah. I think the other thing that I would say, it's almost like, um, well, there is nothing to do because it's about um, receiving or accepting like a fact, uh, if I can call it that, or a mythic fact or uh, the, the nature of things, which is that, Amitabha has grasped us and he will never abandon us. This is, you know, this is a phrase that Shinran uses quite a lot. And so, yeah, and so you could say, okay, but I'm not really, I don't really believe that or I'm not convinced by that. And so what I wonder is, well, maybe all you can do is just become more familiar with that vision and sort of dwell in it, if you like, dwell in that whole uh, mythic, world mythic narrative of, of Amitabha and kind of drink in the idea of the infinite light and things like that. And so through becoming accustomed, if you like, uh, more to that, this vision, then the, the desire to, um, to return to self power, uh, dissolves away. It's like, you know, slowly, well, or maybe not slowly, but you start to recognize that you do have confidence in uh, in other power mm -hmm. it sounds a bit like i'm proposing another practice but i, I i'm not sure that i am it, it because it's not like um i'm not proposing that you you kind of dwell in the amitabha myth in order to realize shinjin because i think if i think if you've got a plan to try and cultivate shinjin then obviously you're in self-power again um, right, right. Um, and Shinjin is precisely the uh, the dissolving uh, of self power, really, uh, the breakthrough of other power into through in, into one's life. But uh, I do think there's value in just becoming more familiar with um, the language, if you like, of um, uh, of of Shinran and the the metaphors that he uses, the images that he uses. Um, that, that's uh, just dwelling in all of that. Uh, and one of the reflections that I was having as I was reading this morning is the, was the recognition that Shinran himself was absolutely soaked in the Pure Land Sutras and absolutely soaked in certain comments, commentaries, like the commentaries of Tan Luan, uh, for instance, and Shandao. Right. And it's almost like these commentaries function as the basic language that he uses to describe his universe you know he's like so deeply steeped in these uh, narratives in these uh, terms in these vows of Amitabha that that's that's like that's the material that he uses to make sense of the world he, he doesn't think about making use of other stuff he's kind of living within that um, universe isn't there a book about isn't there a book called Living by Myth or something like that? I don't know. But anyway, um, that, 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 that's what strikes me here is that we're kind of invited to, to live in terms of this myth, if you like. Yeah. There is a, there is a book like that. Um, I, can't, I can't remember the, the author. I, I actually read it not 
too long ago. I'll, I'll see if I can uh, dig dig it up. It's an interesting um, written by a a woman in in England, as I recall. I'll ha I'll, I'll look it up. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm I, I was I was struck. Um, well, in in the clarification of one's calling and many calling um, by a couple of things that he said. One, one of them being that it's important never to have this very far from your consciousness. I mean, it, it's almost like the kind of Zen thing about, you know, well, okay, now go wash your bowls or, you know, carrying, carrying, carrying wood and uh, chopping wood and carrying water, that kind of thing. You just go, go about your daily life. You just do everything that you that you need to do to live, but you do it without. You do it with a conscious in, in such a way that Amitabha is never far from your mind, never never far from the front of your mind, um, and so that daily life really becomes the practice. Just getting through the day becomes becomes your practice. Um, yeah, the the in a way that well, there's nothing to be attained, right? And so it, you're, you're not standing in relation to uh, life and experience in terms of looking for attainment, right? And believing that you haven't attained. Uh, I mean, one of the things I I get a lot from Shinran is that while on the one hand, obviously you could argue that he starts from a very pessimistic uh, standpoint which is to say that we're, you know, foolish beings enmeshed in samsaric actions, and that's all we're capable of, you know, and we're, we're incapable of living out the path of sages, you know, we're incapable of liberating ourselves and attaining enlightenment. Uh, so on the one hand, you could argue that that sounds quite pessimistic uh, and, and even quite depressing. Uh, but on the other hand, I find his, uh, his vision incredibly consoling if you like and reassuring because what he says at the same time is that well yes but at the same time other power is reaching out to you and you have been you know you have been grasped never to be abandoned and uh, he so and he, he constantly emphasizes that he's constantly emphasizing the compassion of, of Amitabha and that you don't in, in a way you don't need to worry I think that's that, that's what I hear him to be saying a lot. You don't need to worry. You don't need to think that about whether you're doing it properly or not, or whether you're doing it enough. Uh, have confidence, you know, that you have been grasped never to be abandoned, and you will be reborn in uh, in Amitabha's pure land. And so there's there's something kind of quite uplifting uh, about all of that, uh, at least for me. And it kind of takes away kind of attainment anxiety, if you like. You know, it takes away this idea, oh, um, you know, when will I attain enlightenment? Am I doing enough to attain enlightenment? Maybe such and such has attained stream entry, but I haven't. And all of that, which is obviously a very self-power-based discourse, um, and he, he just seems to cut through all of that. And uh, because there's something so universal about um, his perspective, which is that it, you know, the light of Amitabha touches everyone independently of whether they're good people, bad people, whatever. Um, and so I, what I feel is maybe one of the fruits or consequences of that vision is kind of relaxing a bit, really, uh, and feeling uh, reassured. Uh, and then practice uh, taking place kind of without anxiety, if you like, uh, without the anxiety of, of it being a means to attainment. Right. Uh, and so practice happens more in a spirit of uh, confidence, in a spirit of gratitude as well, um, uh, but without thinking that practice is perfect either, you know, that one is practicing in a perfect way. Right. Um, practice maybe becomes more natural, maybe we could say. Yeah, and so, some something that really that really struck me, and and uh, I think it, it occurred a little bit more toward the end of the of the uh, one's calling, many calling essay um, notes. 
Um, I think I have the wrong, actually the wrong text here. Um, anyway, the, the um, notes on once calling and many calling, because later on there's in related works, there is a, a clarification of once calling and many calling by Ryukan. But in, 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 the, in the reading that, that we had for today, we'll see if I can get it back up. Um, one, of, one of the things that, that, one of the points that's, that's emphasized toward the end is that part of Shinjin is that is never hedging your, your bets and, and never having a hedge fund, you know, of doing other kinds of things, doing other practices, um, do, do, uh, um, availing yourself of, of worshiping other Buddhas or doing other, other meritorious good works. He calls them good works. And, and, and I think that, um, but just focusing on this one, on this one, on Shenzhen. I mean, I think there's something very compelling about such a focused and um, simplified approach, if you like. I mean, the, the situation that we're in as contemporary people is that we're, you know, we're faced with the entire Buddhist tradition and, and trying to make right. some sense of it. And uh, right. it can be quite overwhelming and uh, confusing, I think. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's, there's definitely something about Shinran's approach that is really trying to focus things into something much more kind of digestible. Right. Uh, and that, that's what kind of struck me when I said earlier that he's so steeped in these texts you know, because in it, with the world of the internet, it's like you can be familiar with a million texts, but none of them in any deep kind of way. Right. And it seems like he had uh, a familiarity with a limited number of texts that he just read over and over again. Um, at the end of the um, at the end of the complete works, uh, there is a re uh, there is a, a record of the original text of notes from. One, uh, sorry, the original text of once calling and many calling. And at the end, uh, it says, this was copied by Shinran. So he copied that text out, and that must have been what he did with all of his texts. He copied yeah. them out by hand. Right. Uh, and he would have written his notes on those copies. Um, right. So there's this kind of intimacy with these texts that I think gives it a, a kind of weight and a depth uh, even while you know it may not be as broad, if you like, as as some other uh, approaches, uh, but clearly as well, he seemed to be wanting to present a vision of practice that was much more accessible. Um, you know, as you know, he was a Tendai monk, and Tendai is an incredibly arduous training. I think it was like yeah. de de decades of training uh, as, yeah. a, as a Tendai uh, monk. Uh, and at that time, or certainly a bit before Shinran, uh, it would seem that Buddhist practice was very, very elitist, you know, and it, it was more like available to aristocracy, you know, the military, pe people who had resources and a lot of time, uh, because it was very, very scholastic. Uh, and Shinran seems to be, well, and with, together with Honen, one of the first people who really started to talk about Dharma practice in, in a way that could be accessible to ordinary people. Right. Yeah, the, that's right. The, 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 uh, the Tendai curriculum was, was available to people who had 20 years to spare in which they didn't have to do much of anything else except study one text after another. Um, Which Shin, Shin, Shinran himself did. I mean, I think he entered yeah. when he was about 10 or something like that. Yeah. And he was there like uh, nearly 20 years studying um, yeah. until he had his, uh, well, his insight into his own lack of uh, progress, if you like. Yeah. Right. There was another thing that uh, I really uh, caught my attention in the notes on once calling and many calling which is about the idea of being uh, truly settled, uh, which no. obviously is a term that's used quite a lot, but a, but a term that is used here that I hadn't seen before is the idea of being falsely settled. 
um, which he uses to talk about someone who thinks, it seems to be like someone who thinks they've gained some kind of spiritual re realization on the basis of self-power practices. Uh, they're falsely settled. I thought it was quite an interesting idea. Uh, and it is kind of talking about maybe some kind of, um, yeah, a kind of spiritual cul-de-sac or something like that, maybe where you, you come to think because you practiced a lot, uh, that you've got somewhere and he seems to want to make it clear that well that is not the case that because the only way to become truly settled is through abandoning self-power obviously and having faith in uh, in amida he also mm. talks about uh, the not settled as well and not settled uh, are people who are practicing the nimbutsu uh, but they haven't given up on self-power, so they're practicing it through self-power still. Right. Um, and I thought, I thought that was an interesting group of distinctions, you know, between those three different types of people, the, the, uh, the falsely settled, the non-settled, and the truly settled. Yeah. And it, it, is, it is in that, in that context, as I recall, that he, that he is talking about having Nembutsu be one of the things that you do, but you're availing yourself of all these other things as well. You know, this, this reminded me of, of, of a memory that I had of, of a bookstore actually in Toronto. It was, it was a bookstore that was part of a large chain of bookstores, of Coles uh, in, uh, in Canada. And this bookstore in Toronto had the preposterous name, The World's biggest bookstore um it really was a very large bookstore huge warehouse kind of uh that had been repurposed to be a bookstore and um they 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 at one time had an enormous selection of books on buddhism so it was a, it was a you know anybody who was involved in in buddhism in any way, and there's a lot of people in Toronto involved in some Buddhist movement or other. You could go to this bookstore and get just about anything. Uh, by it was not necessarily the most arcane kind of um, academic works on Buddhism, but almost everything that had been done by any any one of the teachers of any of the traditions you could find in this bookstore. And over the years, that section became smaller and smaller and smaller until eventually there was essentially just a shelf of books on, on Buddhism. And do you know what took the place of all of the, you know, all of the pallets of books that used to be devoted to Buddhism? What eventually took their place were self-help books, right? You know, like Deepak Chopra and, and Oprah and, you know, all, all of these people, all these thousands of people who are writing self-help books and, you know, ways that you can have a more fulfilling life, you know, ways that you can lose weight, become more fit. I mean, just all of these things. That's very and, interesting that you bring in that analogy of self-help books. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, this, the, because because that really reveals more clearly than in, you know in a very in a very clear way how oriented towards self-help and and self-power this culture is i think that's very a point very well made and uh, I, I like the i like juxtapositioning uh shinran's view not just with self-power within Buddhism, but the idea of self-help, as you said, in, as a cultural kind of uh, idea, you know, the idea of self-development and so on. Mm -hmm. And I know that sometimes uh, people even kind of lump Buddhism into the self-help arena, you know, sometimes in these, sometimes you have mind, body and spirit sections. Self-help uh, self books often draw on a lot of Buddhist ideas, don't they, that are common. Yeah. And I often feel, well, I do feel that the Buddhist vision is not a self-help vision. You know, it, 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 it comes from a different place. 
because it's a self-transcendence vision. It's not, a self, it's not about inflating the self. It's about transcending the self. Um, right. uh, or in other words, it, it's about um, uh, another power approach, not a self-power approach. And I, I, right. I, I do find Shinran's uh, use of the language of other power very helpful in not just falling into the idea of thinking that Buddhist practice is just about uh, yeah making yourself feel a little bit little bit better or or be a bit more successful or whatever it might be. Um, it clearly mm. is not that. But an, another consequence of this quite radical view, um, the idea of the falsely settled, for instance, is that other Buddhist approaches are not adequate isn't it? Uh, there is uh, mm. an implied critique. I don't know how much explicit critique he undertook of uh, other uh, Buddhist practices, but let, you know, going back to the Tendai, uh, Tendai, as I understand it, was a, a very kind of um, uh, uh, eclectic um, school. Uh, that's not the word that I'm looking for. Um, bringing lots of things together. Um, yeah, it, it, it was it was actually uh, um, highly systematized. Syncretic. Syncretic is the word that I was looking yeah, for. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, right. And 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 it, it found a place for everything that had ever been written in Buddhism, uh, which was then placed in this hierarchy. Well, it, right. Was it, that from Jiyi that that uh, hierarchy? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and and so there, there there were there were some texts that were considered to be more elementary and others that were more advanced and, and it was quite important to go through them in the right sequence, right? Um, in in, in yeah. that, in that in, in jury's system, I there, there was a time in my life when I, I I was quite impressed by that and I thought, well, this is this really is the right way to this this is something that. Western Buddhists would do well to heed because there has been a kind of, um, well, for, for people who have wanted to practice Buddhism in the West, it's very easy to be overwhelmed by just the sheer volume of things that are available. And there, there, there is a tendency, I think, for people to kind of grab this and that and, 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 uh, pursue something until it becomes hard and then they just put it back on the shelf and try something else. <laughs> but there always there always comes after that sort of initial rush that comes from the novelty of something a slightly you know something you haven't haven't considered before. You think yes this is the answer. This is and and then and then invariably it becomes a little stale. Um, it's no longer, it loses its novelty and it becomes difficult. You know, you, you, you run into that, into that wall where you realize, well, um, I still seem to have quite a bit of grasping and envy and desire. <laughs> and something that I found really interesting in this text is that he says that you'll have this until you die. Who are the, who are the foolish common people? We are. <laughs> and, you know, we're going to have desires, we're going to have envy. And maybe even that applies to doubt as well, uh, that, you know, if doubt arises, um, that's an opportunity to either re-engage, if you like, with uh, the basis of other power, right. or, as you said, uh, kind of get distracted by looking for some other solution. Um, right which is obviously what happens quite often, isn't it? We start to doubt uh, uh, about the life we're living and we think, oh, well, maybe if I study this other approach, uh, then that will solve my problem. Um, right. And that seems to be a very kind of contemporary mentality, you know, so you, yeah. you then get a kind of a butterfly type approach moving from this approach to that approach, you know, studying this and studying that. And also as well, thinking that uh, erudition uh, will save us. So if only I study enough, that will be enough. Um, right. 
and uh, it strikes me that one of the messages uh, from Shinran is that that is not the answer. You know, the answer is not to just know lots and study lots. Um, at least that won't that won't liberate you. I mean, that might serve other purposes, maybe, but um, uh, that will that doesn't make you worthy, if you like, or that doesn't uh, uh, that doesn't release you from samsara. Um, uh, often, maybe it will just be another way of binding yourself to it. Um, but uh, going back to this idea of implying a rejection of other traditions, I guess there's something about that that makes me feel uncomfortable. Yes. You know, yeah. I, feel, I feel uncomfortable with the idea that maybe Shinran says, you know, forget about Tendai. Uh, right. You know, forget, I think he was a contemporary of Dogen. I, d I don't think they knew each other. Uh, uh, but I think they were, or they overlapped at least. Uh, and also, he definitely overlapped with um, Nichiren. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't, you, you don't read in Shinran's works explicit criticism of particular other schools. Like, I, I don't remember reading explicit criticism of Tendai or anything else. But the implication is that anyone who is, is following, well, he talks about sundry practices, which is like anything that's not the Nimbutsu. Uh, that they shouldn't be doing that, you know, and that, that implies self-power and they should give it up and just uh, have uh, a trust to uh, Amida. So there's certainly implied criticism, even if it's not explicit. Yeah, I, that's true. I, I, I also felt a little, <clears throat> I, I felt a little queasy when I, when I read some of those passages. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not sure in the final analysis whether he was saying that these other things are illegitimate practices or with, with just that they will really take a long time. Um, and, that, and that people may be fooling themselves to some extent if they, if they think that, um, that they can... Um, that they can do it all them that they can do do it all themselves right uh, the, yeah the, the the passage that i was that i was thinking of it's it's toward the end and i i actually have a question about this um it it touches on on on, on what we were talking about about the rejection of other or this the apparent rejection of other paths or kind of belittling or something or diminishing the value of other paths um, it's 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 a passage in which he's giving a comment on on the word foolish beings, the bala jana and he says is expressed in the parable of the two rivers of water and fire. I'm not familiar with that parable; it didn't ring a bell. Maybe we are, but any uh, it's expressed in the parable of the two rivers of water and fire. We are full of ignorance and blind passion. Our desires are countless, and anger, wrath, jealousy, and envy are overwhelming, arising without cause. To the very last moment of life, they do not cease or disappear or exhaust themselves. When we who are so shameful go a step or two, little by little, along the white path of the power of the vow, we're taken in and held by the compassionate heart of the Buddha of unhindered light. It is fundamental that because of this, we will be, we will unfailingly reach the pure land of happiness, whereupon we will be brought to realize the same enlightenment of great nirvana as Amida Tathagata, being born in the flower of that perfect enlightenment. This is expressed. Foolish beings, when they become mindful of the vow, are immediately brought to the attainment of birth. This has made the essential purport. Well, it seems to me that this is contrasting with all of these other methods of self-power. And I'm not, I don't think that he's ever denying that they eventually will, 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 uh, will result in, in, uh, in nirvana. But the key word there is eventually, and maybe that, that eventuality is a very, very long, long <laughs> countless eons. I mean, according to to uh, I think even Tendai teachings, it takes a very very long time. 
Right. There's a, there's a section earlier on in the text uh, where he talks about um, uh, the um, the lengthwise and crosswise um, uh, path towards enlightenment. Um, right. This is actually towards the beginning, and right. he talks about uh, Maitreya there, and he says that Maitreya uh, is on the lengthwise. Uh, approach, which is basically self-power, uh, also known as the path of the sages, the path of difficult practice, and so on. Right. Um, and that what Shinran proposes is what he calls the crosswise leap uh, through other power. So it, it's like the the other power, the crosswise leap, cuts through all of these millions and millions and millions of years and lives of effort. Right. Uh, and because, as he says here, you board the ship of the Buddha's karmic vow. Uh, so what actually enables you to um, leap across is not your own uh, karma, is not your own effort. It's other power. So right. it's kind of suggesting a, it's a kind of different vision of what Dharma practice consists in, I guess, or, or how... Uh, realization unfolds uh, is not something that is a result of uh, personal effort right. uh, but rather it's something that is thanks to Amitabha's effort uh, and we can we can make use of that we can enjoy that if you like yes there, there's one there's one other um, phrase that, that I, I just found really very provocative um, unfortunately, I'm reading this off the internet, so I, I, I don't have any pages that I can refer to, but there's a passage that says, no one passes by in vain. And th this, is, this is a commentary on, uh, some, uh, on a passage in the treatise on the pure land, would that be the Sukhavati Vyuha, where it says, contemplating the power of the Buddha's primal vow, I see that no one who encounters it pauses, passes by in vain. It quickly brings to fullness and perfection the great treasure, ocean of virtue, virtues. And he says about this phrase, no one passes by in vain, is no one who has, who has Shinjin meaninglessly remains in the world of birth and death. Um, and that reminds me that being in the Pure Land is a condition that being taken out of the Sahaloka, you know, the burden, the burdensome world, mm. is 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 uh, is and being in the Pure Land is um, the story of this text of the Sukhavati Vyuha. But there is a clause in there that says that. You don't have to stay in the Pure Land if you don't, if you want to return to the, to the Sahaloka, and do Bodhisattva work, to liberate other beings, and so, one who has Shinjin, no one who has Shinjin, meaninglessly, remains in the world of birth and death. I'm wondering if that, meaningless, remaining meaning meaninglessly has the significance of saying that, um, well, what do you, t I mean, I, I read a great deal into that and, 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 uh, and what, I, what I read into it is that you can, you can remain in the world of birth and death meaningfully if, if, if the meaning is, if, if your purpose is to liberate other beings. Mm -hmm. did, 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 did you understand that? Um, well, I, I didn't especially notice that line when I read through it, but reading through it now, um, the way that I would understand it is that, um, well, basically, um, beings are, are remaining or beings continue in samsara for no reason. Like, there's no reason for them to continue like that because, okay. uh, yeah. because of Amitabha's vow. And when you realize that and realize Shinjin, you know, you're no longer remaining meaning, meaninglessly in the world of birth and death. Um, 
but uh, I, you know, I like the sense that you made of it as well. That's uh, that's intriguing. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, so, so another way of reading it, it sounds as if you're reading it this way, is that remaining in the world of samsara is in and of itself meaningless. Uh, yeah, but I think samsara understood in a in an existential way, uh, in the sense of um, uh, living without a meter's vow. Really, right. Right. so I, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that I or or Shinran's saying that we shouldn't be in the world, uh, but we shouldn't be in the world without Shinjin, right? Because that's it's like well, it's not only a waste of time; it's like suffering for no reason, you know. Because right. we can right. we can make ourselves aware of the vow and live a much more meaningful and joyful existence. Right. Yeah. And I guess he's kind of, well, I, I take him to be saying, you know, you've got this amazing opportunity to embrace uh, the vow, to embrace other power. Why are you spending all your time thinking that through your own efforts, you can reach enlightenment? Why would you do that? It's, uh, right. There's right. Uh, something almost perverse about it, uh, right. he might say. And I, th I sometimes think that about myself too, that, you know, my, my self directed efforts they they do sometimes be a bit they do sometimes seem a bit perverse mm -hmm. and uh i find myself thinking you know what is the problem in a way um just carry on practicing and living and and there's no need to worry about whether i've attained or i haven't attained or will attain or might attain or how far i've attained all this kind of thing you know which is all self-power type language self-referential yeah. yeah you can you can throw away all of the uh, all of the um, measuring tapes as it were all of all of the things by which you're measuring your progress right yeah 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 and and what i what i think i sense in shinran is the invitation to enter a state of confidence uh, and gratitude right um, you know, gratitude, obviously, for what everything that Amida's done, but confidence in the sense that you don't need to worry about whether you will enter the pure land or not. It's kind of given, you could even say, maybe. It's just, you know, take it as given, if you like, and uh, just, uh, just rejoice in that.